the UK Psych Health and Safety and ISO 45003 podcast. The goal of the UK Psych Health and Safety podcast is to be your source of information on psychological injury prevention, health promotion and best practice. In doing this, we aim to rapidly advance the global practice of psychological health and safety in workplaces and adoption of best practices from the ISO 45003 standard. We will be looking at fully integrated approaches to managing psych health and safety and well-being strategy in the workplace that meet the needs of everyone in the organisation. Your regular host will be Peter Kelly, Senior Psychologist with the UK Health and Safety Executive and Sheila Lord of BMR Health and Wellbeing. Every week we will have a guest episode from the fields of health and safety, human resources, psychology and academia who are leading the way in their corner of the globe. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the UK Psych Health and Safety Podcast. I'm Sheila Lord and I am joined today by, again, my co-host, Mr. Peter Kelly from the HSE. Uh, And also we have got Professor, or is it Dr. Tim Marsh? Which one? Uh, Both, actually. Professor Dr. Tim Marsh. (laughs) 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 Founder of Anchor and Marsh um, and very much considered a world authority uh, on the subject of behavioural safety, safety leadership and organisational culture, uh, and also a published author, I understand, of many books. So uh, Seven, I think. Pardon? Seven. I don't know if that's many. Wow, wow that's, that's impressive. <laughs> so, yeah, but they're all rubbish and nobody buys them. <laughs> oh, I'm sure that's not true. I've got, I've got two of them, so... <laughs> Oh, God, thank you. That's a lovely way to start. <laughs> yeah, but, they, but don't don't tell me whether you you thought they were useful or not. I'm just saying. I'm just saying that the regulator's got two of them, so there you go. There's <laughs> <laughs> a, a, a big coffee cup on one of them as we speak. I <laughs> so, Tim, why don't you um, tell us how you kind of got started in this industry and give us a, a, a history of your kind of career from from then till now. Sure. Um, well, I came to Manchester a long, long time ago, 1990, to do a master's in occupational psychology. I uh, did a PhD um, looking at suicidal behaviour in army recruits, um, which uh, which was uh, very interesting. And uh, and soon after finishing that, um, we had a behavior. The first ever behavioural safety was being done here in in the UK. Uh, a team run by people like Dominic Cooper. Um, Roy Duff, Ivan Robertson and so on, Robin Phillips. Um, and, and Dominic had, had left to set up his own consultancy uh, just at the end of stage one of a three-year project. So I stepped in and, and stepped into Dominic's shoes, uh, looking at does behavioural safety work on a building site? Um, this is about 1991 uh, to, uh, at this time. Um, and the answer was, of course, it works splendidly well if you've got the management commitment to ensure that the various obstacles and uh, that, that are likely to pop up uh, are overcome. Um, so that was that. Uh, and at the end of that, of course, you're publishing research papers and, and papers in trade journals. And people are reading this, saying, oh, this, this sounds interesting, ringing the university, asking for commercial work. And, and of course, it doesn't take long. You only have three or four meetings with you, Mr. Ventures, to decide it would be better to, uh, to go on your own than to take this small percentage they were offering. Um, which is Dom had done two years before. And so he said it'd be on consultancy. Um, and so behavioural safety initially, usually on oil rigs. Um, and then moving to chemical industry was was, was big back in those days. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then so on and so forth. Um, you know, and if you're in behavioural safety, you pretty quickly realise that safety leadership is huge. 
that the frontline supervisors are key, so safety leadership. They're taking their cue from the top, so safety culture. And safety culture is just a subset of the organizational culture, so culture culture. And that, that, that progression is, is quite natural as you, as you find your way. Fantastic. So in term, for, just for our listeners that might be, not be so familiar with some of the terminology that we um, use, what, what is behavioural safety in layman's Oh, God. No, that's, that's a question, Sheila. Well, there's a million <laughs> and one answers to that. Um, uh, I, I, did do, I did write a book called uh, The Definitive Guide to Behavioural Safety in an attempt to start a, a clarifying debate on all this. And, and, and I tried to define it as anything that systemically affects or improves frontline behavior and um, that could cause uh, injury and, you know, it's sort of risk-based. Um, so that's everything from the CEO uh, giving a really good talk to um, right through to, of course, hold the hand, they'll put your PPE on, the more obvious stuff. Now, the American strand came in very much on the back of things like Blanchard, catch a person doing something right. You know, praise is 20 times as effective as criticism, catch somebody doing something safe praise it, reinforce it, based very much on observations and then feedback. Um, but but as, you, as you look at it from through the lens of your Sydney Deckers, your James Reasons of this world, you know, making the case that 90% of why people behave unsafely is structural and organisational, mm-hmm. you know, so optimising violations and, and, and so on, um, you realise that actually, you know, you, you need to be looking at how the organisation cues the unsafe behaviour. If it's 90%, then it is. Then 90% of your time and effort needs to be spent looking at how you're setting people up to fail or succeed, and only 10% at the individual. You know, and some of the American-based kind of behavioural safety was a bit more 90% the individual, even yeah. though they were using really good techniques, you know, yeah. catch a person doing something safe. Um, you're still focusing on the individual. And so, so my brand of behavioural safety was very much to say, let's look at what, whether we're setting people up to succeed or fail. So I, I, a simple example, you know, have you got the PPE that you actually need? Does it fit? Is it comfortable? All that stuff. Or, or looking at um, the way that organisations cue people. So, you know, I spend a lot of time saying, look, if you, if you say to people, um, I want you to do this job safely, but by Friday, then you're going to get it by Friday as safely as is viable. Because we know that everything after a butt is the meat of it. Everything before the butt is so much flannel. So, you know, I really enjoyed dating you these last couple of months, Sheila. You know, it's been a real, it's been a real blast. But, you know, we, we, we know that that comes... You know, yeah, I should be... <laughs> I don't know where that's you going. Know, the, the, I, you know, I, I, we know that the, in, in, in inter, interactions, it doesn't, you know, we, we absolutely know what's being said there. Um, but, you know, in, in the world of behavioural safety... You, you get that, and then you get it as safely as is viable by Friday. And then something goes wrong. We end up in court. The, um, you know, the person on the receiving end says, well, I, 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 you know, I, was, I don't know, I don't know. And the supervisor says, well, I said safely. I really explicitly said safely, so I don't know what's gone wrong here. And, of course, the person who, who committed the unsafe act is, well, well he kind of did, but, uh, you know, and, and, and so that's – all those things are behavioural safety to me, you know, mm. so it, it, it's, it's not a, a single methodology. I mean, the best methodology, I think the very best behavioural safety methodology, get some workers, say, you know what goes wrong, you know why it goes wrong, what can we do about it? Give mm. us some high-impact, low-cost solutions and we'll, we're on it. Absolutely. You know, that's, for me, is the best behavioural safety, but, you know, mm. other people would differ and, and uh, disagree with it. 
Yeah. So it's interesting because you were saying there about it being structural 90% and 10% individual, yet, you know, we have a conversation regularly on this with Pete and, and with other guests that come on, you know, most of the approaches that we see to psychological health and safety, workplace mental health, very focused on the individual. Resilience last, if at all. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. So, you know, in terms of that, you know, it's 10% of the individual. So, you know, who is responsible then for creating these mentally safe workplaces? Uh, the organisation. <laughs> Starting from the top, yeah? Well, as a, as a simplistic answer, it, yeah. it's, it's from the top, yeah, you know, and I think mine put it incredibly well when you know, we talk about mindsets now and how you, how you leak expectations and assumptions. You know, a mindset... <clears throat> Whatever you do, don't say you have to be tough to work here because that's putting the onus on the individual. Much better to say, um, you know, sometimes you, you could use, you know, a thick skin to work here because sometimes the pinch points are difficult. Um, but, you know, and we do our very, very best to, to avoid that if we can. So no one's just saying it's over to the individual, take it or leave it. Um, but the, the second approach is much more structured and, and, and at least... It's a very subtle but important distinction, isn't it? It's saying we understand that we cause a lot of the trouble out there and we're trying not to. Mm. And again, I think... Fail, so over to you, is, is kind of fair, I think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I have another point that, you know, you, know, you mentioned there, you know, and it's, it's often the simplest approaches are the best and it's to consult with the people that are doing the job. Yes, yes. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> <laughs> what can we do better? <laughs> How can we do that better? How can we organise this job better? How can we remove the stress? Are you stressed? It's just simply having a conversation, isn't it? Well, well, I said, you know, the very best for me behavioural safety methodology is the behavioural root cause analysis teams. You know, you get people in, they know the job better than you ever will. So ask them, they're the experts. Mm. It's exactly the same principle. Yeah. Well, yeah. You know, and, and safety differently have a, a great, the, the essence of safety differently. You know, I want you to be productive and make me lots of money. Um, and I want you to go home in a, in, a, in a good place. What do you need for me to do that? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I do, uh, just to point out, the microphone problem was I hadn't actually physically plugged it in. <laughs> <laughs> it is Monday morning, isn't it? And human error is incredibly understandable. A very practical example of what human error is like. <laughs> isn't it interesting that uh, Tim for us over the last 20 years to watch this voyage of discovery as uh, UK PLC and the rest of the world has suddenly discovered, oh, maybe we should look after our people. But um, you remember in the 1990s, when before the management expanded, um, the ad, let me just change the mic back to a better one. Oh, yeah, you, you, you've, you've gone a bit dialect um, Yeah. What we had in the 1990s was a, a can co a coping culture. And what we got in the, uh, what are we now, the millennium? What, what, the, 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 the 20, 21. 21s, the 21s. It feels a whole lot like we're going back there, doesn't it? We, we've actually gone right back there, actually, to teach people to cope. And they're not looking at the organisational uh, the, the organizational pressures. Um, you know, which is at the heart of behavioural safety and also at the heart of, I said, 45,003, which is to uh, to put the onus on the organisation to to change. Do you think we'll get that, that COVID-19 will be a, a sea change in how people respond? Um, I would hope so. Um, I think, I mean, in terms of, you know, where we've gone as a society, obviously the gig economy and 
and you know films like sorry we missed you and so on make that really clear that there's an, uh, huge pressures on the individual if you're on the sharp end. Um, you know, my, my experience of organisations now, though, though, is that there is such pressure on the individual that turnover rates, absenteeism rates, uh, the lack of lack of resource is such that people are turning to look at the individual and supporting the individual because they have no choice, yeah. because they perceive that they, they have to, you know. So... Um, uh, yes, but not necessarily for the best reasons. You know? yeah. I, I don't think we're winning the win-win. It's a win-win scenario. I think we are benefiting from the fact that they've got no choice. And in supporting those individuals, though, the challenge is that they actually have to look at themselves and look at the structure and systems and process that they've put in place, correct? Um, and um, what I think uh, if you talk to people is that in the financial sector, you can never work from home couldn't work from home at all because you have to be in the office. But when COVID-19 hit, you had to work from home and the organisation had to adapt its processes um, and to, to, to allow you to work to work at home. And uh, it, it's interesting to say in our safety world, you know, our builders carried on building, but they still carried on having accidents. Um, so even, uh, even in a, with the less pressures that were associated with uh, less people being around, there, there's still accidents uh, out there. So um, I just, I feel mental health has come into its own now. Um, thank goodness, it's only taken us 25 years to get here. Um, but I, you know, and, and, you know, the language of behavioural safety and psychological safety is, become, is starting to filter into organisations. So um, do you think they're ready? Um, no, not really, but uh, they, they, they have to be. Um, I, a simple case study, I was just, you know, I, I try and finish my, my talks, my little, little talks with a, a Monty Python cartoon, you know, what have the Romans ever done for us? You know, it's uh, from one of the books that I wrote. Um, and it basically says, you know, so we'll have uh, less, less turnover, less presenteeism, less absenteeism, more creativity, more above the line behaviour. That, 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 you know, and a better reputation in the pubs and so on. But apart from that, what has what well-being and mental health ever done for us, you know? And, and, and the joke is to say, well, you know, one of the little little uh, silhouettes in the, <coughs> in the cartoons here, one of them saying, well, you know, fewer accidents and better mental health, Reg. Well, you know, well, yeah, fewer accidents and better mental health taken as read that, you know? <laughs> you know, and, and to try and... and, and and, you know, I, I used it with a board uh, the other day, uh, a, a company you'd, you'd, you'd have heard of, um, French-based. And, and they kind of laughed and they, and they got it and they said, no, we're on for this. And then a really interesting coming from the side, you know, it's, I was trying to articulate the win-win issue as we've just been describing. Somebody just came in and said, CSR. Yeah. You know, um, so I, I I mean I don't mean to sound cynical. You know, you're not allowed to be cynical. You can be skeptical, but but organisations are geared up to make money, um, and use the resources best they can. And people are just a resource. Let's be honest about it. Um, and and I, they're beginning, I think, to understand the win-win. Yeah, it's a resource that they've always assumed is adaptable and and sustainable. You can put, you you put pressure on, you burn them out, you move them out. Um, and now you, we've got gross um, unemployment in sectors because actually people don't want that anymore. Um, uh, you know, me and you over the next 10 years will be looking at kids that, are, that were 14 two, two years ago coming into the workforce in three years. 
some of them will come with trauma. And Lots so, of them will come with trauma. Yeah. And we the work the workplace is going to go, well, you know, you need to cope, you need to manage. Actually, the workplace need to change about how they, they're going to support young workers, middle-aged workers, and older workers um, because of the, uh, the context. Maybe you can talk to him about performance influencing factors, you know, because often in, in, in our regulatory perspective, we look at other. So if an accident occurs or an ill health uh, occurrence occurs, we're looking at what's gone on before um, and those sort of the, 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 and how actually performance influence like factors such as pressure of getting the job finished on time can influence the can influence people's psychological state, uh, which then leads to a safety incident. No, I, 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 absolutely. I mean, the, um, the I, I wrote a little paper that that some people said, "Oh, that's going to be really controversial." It turned out it wasn't at all. Actually, any, any pushback at all. Talking for a an insurance company um, about why mental health could lead to more accidents, um, and I uh, did a bit of a, a literature search and to try and back up, uh, you know, instinct. Uh, and three things really um, seem to be a direct link between having a really bad day at work. You know, when you're str- when you're struggling. You know, when you you have hit kind of critical and you you're close to 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 just walking off site and so on. And the first one is you're you're much more likely to be fatalistic. You know, we know from Heinrich's principle that you earn your luck. So fatalism isn't isn't great for a, for a strong culture. You're much more likely to be distracted um, because you're thinking about something else and not the risk around you. Um, you know, and again, we know that low, low situational awareness isn't great. And, and you're much more likely just to be in a bad place and creating risk around you by making bad decisions, uh, interacting badly with other people, failing to communicate well and so on. So for those three reasons, accidents are much more likely in a workplace where everybody is, is you know, is, is just waiting for lunchtime to ring a, a, you know, employee assistance or, or, or so on. Um, and, and that's that I think is is self-evident, you know, and, and uh, when we when we published the paper, some people said, oh, this could be controversial, but, you know, it just doesn't seem to be. Everybody says, yeah, that sounds a bit right. You know, and, and people have been, you know, I mean, uh, Sheffield's Peter War many, many years ago, uh, published his, his papers on his vitamin model. Um, and, you know, he, he nailed it. Not, nobody used it commercially. And we knew about it in universities and research and so on. But, but I, you know, we, we use that. Obviously, we use that as a, as a, a source material, a series of questions to ask and, and factors to consider. You know, for, 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 the, for your, your viewers who, who don't know Wall's vitamin model, it covers things like autonomy and control and skill development and so on. A really good example would be, you know, autonomy. You know, if, if you like lots of autonomy, you can only really function as somebody self-employed. You know, um, being in a situation where you haven't got autonomy is incredibly stressful. On the other hand, um, a lot of people, if they had my level of autonomy as a self-employed person, they'd never sleep at night. Mm. You know, because they need much more structure and certainty. And and these these nine factors that that war came up with, just you just have to look at an individual and how they fit in with where they are through the lens of those factors, and you'll have a really good idea about what their mindset might be like. Yeah, I mean, part of my um, obviously, you know, part of my, my job is as, as a as a H, uh, health and safety inspector and specialist it is to train other 
general health and safety uh, inspectors. And, and I do use WARS model. And plus, I also talk about performance and influence factors because actually, when we're going in to look at an accident, it adds an extra component to the investigation process. Um, and actually, you need to ask those questions, or, you know, what was going on, why, how, where, and, you know, and, um, and but, you know, it, you know, certainly they're trained to uh, to look at those elements, uh, you know, the Erin Peter Wars model. Um, uh, and I think, I mean, when you talk to people, it does add, add an extra component. Um, accidents and Ill, and Ill health outcomes happen because of a sequence of events that have gone on before, do they not? Yes. Uh, and we, and we, in the realm of mental health, have largely focused way too much on that, what the individual's mental health, and not seeing that actually depression and anxiety is an, an outcome. Um, actually, people are, before they've got there, already in the risk realm because they're not concentrating. You've worked on rigs, and I've, I've worked out on rigs, you know, and that momentary lapse of concentration has quite dramatic consequences. Uh, and uh, I don't know, I mean, you maybe remember 15 years ago, neuro-linguistic uh, programming was all the rage, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yes, I hear you. I see what you're saying. <laughs> I, feel, I feel that. Um, so, <laughs> the, but, you know, I was being told that actually, um, you know, people going through NLP training, they're going on to a ring and having what they call theta and alpha moments and beta moments, as we know. And I said, I really don't care what kind of moment they're having. I just want them to be safe. And, and part of that being safe is understanding that if you've got other pressures on you, um, that will influence you, you, you as you go along. Um, and, uh, yeah, and I think um, that, for me, looking going forward in a COVID world and pre-post-COVID world and, and whatever it is, um, those kind of things are going to start to come to the forefront. I just don't know, and this is where I'm asking, I don't know if organisations are truly ready for it. We, we want them to be ready for it, but we're we still buying into teaching people that, that what is effectively coping. Call it mindfulness, call it resilience. Do, do you know, I, I so some good news, an interesting case study. I, I think that... Uh, again, without being too cynical, you know. Um, well, I, we, uh, one of our growth areas, we, we, we don't really do safety culture anymore. We do holistic human error management, you know, and that's what we, we kind of label it. Not in um, now, is it, Tim? What's that, sorry? It's not the Vogue term anymore. <laughs> no, sorry, yeah. Well, I, I'm not, not not trying for the Vogue term. I'm just trying to get organisations to take holistic, integrated approaches to risk management, you know. But 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 the, the organisations that are approaching us are, are in those where they just can't have mistakes because a simple mistake, even more traumatic for the share price than, than on an oil rig and data centres. You know, data centres run run the world and... and um, you know, if you pull the wrong plug out of the wrong wall in a data centre, you can cost billions, um, switch off airports and uh, crash banks. And so a lot of, we've been spending a lot of time in, in data centres working working with with them. And and they're pretty good at it. They, you know, they 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 get that um this sort of thing is is important. So uh, we were talking to a data centre the other day and you know, we're supposed to be running a pilot in a few weeks. And they said, well, look, we had this accident and this guy's hurt himself. And, 
Um, we looked at it and we thought, ah, it's about this, 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 and this. And instantly, five wise kicked in properly. And they said, he's, he's got problems at home. He's got problems at home. He's had problems at home for months. And we didn't pick up on it. And we let him go out there on the workplace. And, of course, he was an accident waiting to happen. He should have been with EA and, and, and so on. So they're beginning, as you said, they're, be, they're beginning to understand that people don't just turn up to work as, in isolation that they are individuals and individuals who are under severe stress from whatever sphere um, make mistakes. And some mistakes cost you money because they pull the wrong plug out and switch an airport off. And some mistakes cost them uh, life-changing injuries and so on. So they are getting there and, and they are beginning to ask the right questions, I think, and, and take a much more holistic approach to it. Or yeah. some of them at least, you know. I, I, I don't think they have a choice not to. <laughs> um, you know what I mean? Because um, in the world of data warehouse, you know, data storage and data warehousing, um, I also on the other side of it as well, Tim, isn't it? Is actually you can come to work healthy, but elements of work can create that uh, disturbance in your thought process because actually you come in, you have a reasonable workload, you expect things to be done in a certain kind of way. And then over the course of a week, that workload just becomes excessive. And, and so instead of actually sleeping or waking up in the middle of the night or you're, you know, you're irritated by the time you go to work, so you're already hyper. Uh, and then, you, then you're going into that. When we first saw at Wave 1, I don't know if you, you know, in talking to some of the business, their people were coming in charged, like, you know, uh, and actually they weren't charged in a good way. They were just charged because I've come in at a bus for the first time or on a train and they and and, and actually it wasn't that time for people to decompress and then to get into work. Uh, and I think increasingly, <coughs> increasingly now, one of the side effects for people working from home is extremely long hours and people aren't decompressing. Um, and um, you know, there was a reason why we designed eight-hour shifts. And we know cognitively our performance at eight hours is, is at pitch at point. Beyond eight to 12 hours, we get a deficit in, in, in performance. And yet now we routinely have people work 12 to 14 hours. It, uh, and it's changed. You know, we, we've tried to change this culture of long working hours. But a part of that is buying into the fact that you're not being successful or efficient in those extra hours that you think you are. Um, well, I mean, so some organisations we work with say, don't care, hear what you're saying, you know, diminishing returns kicks in, they're just skating through the first six and then, you know, so you think you're getting 13 hours out of them, but you're not, you're only getting eight. But then others say that, you know, we're paying one person to sit in there and make sure those computers don't go pop and they're, they're staying there for 12 hours. That's the end of it. Yeah. You know, so, you know, it's all about pacing, isn't it? And uh, yeah. Uh, you know, and 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 so so they, they but they need to adjust to that, and they need to provide some sort of support that means that when when you when you're low, you know, um, you've got something reasonably stimulating or relaxing to keep you occupied, so you don't just completely zone out, and then can't get back into the right mindset when you need to, like like a good golfer, you know, you can learn from things like golf. No, we, we know from all from the American data, which you, you know we're both familiar with, that actually. It's very clear accidents. You can track accidents. I the first, one of the first questions that an inspector you asked was when was the accident? How long were you there? For? How long have you been in the in that environment for? That's it because I need to know 
was it reasonable or was were we under pressure you know what what like um what was happening the day before if it was an outside job what was happening the day before we were off the job so on that day you had these pressures you actually were working extra hours and um uh but because of taking it back to the whole COVID-19 we have people now sitting in offices 14 out of desks like and this is actually this is the museum and called Harris in Preston it's not my office um but but you know to give you a view um my uh oh, sorry my office actually has my bike it has my skateboard uh you know it, it, has, it has all sorts of things in it and most of those is probably what people's normal life is. You see? Yeah, it, it, it is a skateboard. Yeah, I have a, I've got a longboard. So. There you go. That's how I practice health and well-being. I've got my longboard. Um, but it, but I, I think for us, not just the office based people, but as people return to work, um, unless we re-engage people on mental health, unless you actually say to people, stop waiting until they're ill, do something before, uh, we're just going to be back on the on the treadmill. Um, and um, it's fascinating for the last three years to watch every day there's a report on mental health. Every day. I mean, articles. Sorry, go on, Sheila. I was going to say, I mean, you know, you're absolutely right, Pete. And, and organisations, I, I come across a different mix of them. Those that really want to do it, but haven't got a clue where to start. Those that really want to do it who think mental health first aid and some resilience training and some fruit bowls and some yoga are the answer and they're patting themselves on the back and telling themselves how wonderful they are. And I think I've heard you, you know, allude to this before, Tim, in, in a in other podcasts that you've done you know where people can either do it cheaply yeah quickly yeah or they can do it right and the right quality and I think often times and especially given the pressures of COVID and the, the rapid change of our work environments over the last 18 months um, there's this sometimes this need to rush and just tick a box and not actually look at a long-term process which is woven into the fabric of the organisation where it becomes systemic, where it becomes part of the absolute culture. Um, And, you know, for me, that's, you know, where I think something like the new ISO standard that was released at 45,003 starts to provide some guidance and a framework for those organisations that don't know where to start. You know, unless you say you've got some of these massive organisations that absolutely get the risk that if somebody pulls that wrong thing out, you know, but what about the SMEs? What about the smaller organisations that want to do the right thing um, for their people, um, but just really don't know what that right thing is? Because what is that? Absolutely. I I, I try and obviously at conferences and so on, I try and do it with jokes uh, and and stories and so on. Um, and, and but we one to try and illustrate, you know, looking at an organisation through, through the lens of a, of a structured uh, approach. Um, you know, I, I did a week in, in Lamborn Steelworks when I was about 16. And, you know, and, and the joke is I actually went on a motorbike. But, you know, imagine I was taken by my mum, you know, I'm 16. And they, she hands me over and, she, and they say, look, we got hot metal fl- flash, you know, flying everywhere. We got noxious gases all over. We got forklift trucks hammering up and down. We got a horrible bullying management culture. 
But don't worry, young Tim will be great with us because we got four highly skilled first aiders out there, you know. And uh, you know, I, it, it, obviously, she wouldn't be particularly reassured by that. And I think the analogy the analogy holds. You know, it, it's if if you look at it through something like an ISO, a structured, holistic approach to to setting people up to succeed, you you can you can see really clearly that actually, you know, putting putting bananas at bikes and bananas schemes and not really addressing what what you want them to address you know and and as is a cartoon um that that has you know a little pixie sitting on mushrooms i don't know if you've seen it and it says look this is depression negative thoughts about the past this is anxiety negative thoughts about the future get get in the middle you know <clears throat> be be mindful and and and, and in the middle you know, hence <clears throat> excuse me mindfulness and you know what i say to organizations and you say they don't even know where to start is you just got to do two things you know the first one is, as you drift from mental strength and, and, you know, being in the moment to maybe be, obviously, you bounce back and forth between depression and anxiety. Yeah? But as, you, as you're drifting, you need to spot that they're drifting and they're about to hit critical. So mental health first aiders can help. Um, having a culture of care where everybody's involved, including line even better. And then you can signpost to EA and, and, and so on and OC Health. But the second thing you should do, we know from the world of safety excellence that that's reactive. So, you know, obviously you have to react well, but even better than that is to be proactive and proactive in, in, in my in my world is create an environment that keeps them in the middle naturally because you get the benefits of good work is good for you. You know, because, you know, people who are who have a job that they really relish are mentally healthier than people that don't need to work at all. And, and that's all about creating an environment where they can develop their skills, where they have the right level of autonomy you know, uh, where they have the right amount of interpersonal contact and it's good quality interpersonal contact and so on and so forth. So, I mean, I, I, I genuinely think organisations just need to do those two things, you know, but the latter, creating an environment that keeps people in the middle naturally is is key. Proactive is always better than reactive. I, I think I've told you this story before, and you know, Tim and I, I did a conference and I was at back, wait, this guy waited 10 minutes to come up to me and he said to me, he said, Loved what you said. I said, oh, thank you. You know, <laughs> but. <laughs> uh. <laughs> <Not every> but. <laughs> he said, I put all of my staff on mindfulness training and resilience, resilience training. And um, I went, okay. And he said, uh, half of them come back and said, the job's shit. Um, and I said, well, um, what? Did the you know did the person that was offering the training not say that potentially some people might come back and think actually I'm not in a really good job I don't like it and he said no and I said well, what are you going to do he said I'm going to do what he said which is I'm going to invest in the organisational elements to get it right and and actually mindfulness and resilience didn't do anything really to get us through the through the pandemic um, because actually it made it uh, what we needed to do was have right system and people need to be mindful and supported. But this hard idea that you can just default to the end of cheapest chips to teach people these individual skills, uh, but way more cost effective, as we know, uh, if you do the organisational bit, actually, if you do stuff to prevent, uh, you know, prevent people being made ill in the first place. Um, and, you know, I've, I've, for the last five years, people have said, I asked them, have you done a stress risk assessment because you're required under under a break free of the um, of, of the uh, health at work? And they go, no, I, well, I, yes, I've done a staff survey. And I'm like, have you assessed the risk 
of work-related stress once you're aware you've got work-related stress. Well, I've done a staff survey. A staff survey is not a risk assessment. A staff survey actually indicates the, the primary argument in, in our health and safety world, foreseeability. You do a staff survey and people aren't happy. You know you've got a problem. Did you do anything about the problem? And, and I just think increasingly, and I, I, I've, I've, I asked, I was at a conference last week and I said, if you, uh, it would, would you go into a building which has got a gas bottle or a series of processes and go, have you risk assessed them? And then if they turned around and said, yeah, we've done a staff survey to see how happy they, they were, you, you wouldn't do it. And I think, do you know what I mean? I think there is the, there is a, what I'm trying to get to in a very long-winded way is I think people put mental health in a different mindset. They don't understand it and they're scared of it, I think. A lot, a lot of people are just scared of it and they're scared to say the wrong thing, do the wrong thing. British Reserve, you know, it's, it's, stiff up a lip and so on. And and I think the job of people, people like me, you know, who try and do talks in front of cartoons, um, is to just demystify it and say it's not that complicated, really. No. You know, um, uh, we all of us think these thoughts, but all of us having depressive and, and, and anxious thoughts all day. You've just got to try and minimise that because if there's too much of it, bad things will happen and you don't like bad things, whatever they, those are. So it's... It's, you know, it's uh, I mean, obviously, you know, I, I genuinely think that regulators are yeah, regulating these things well is, is key, you know. Um, yeah, well, it's, it, one part, it's only it, one part of the equations. Well, well, well it, it is. Um, and and when they when they know that they need to find a solution, I think the people might my, my part of the jigsaw is to make that solution look uh, really quite stress free. You know, oh well, that that's, doesn't sound that bad when you put it that way. Oh, we could do that, you know. But I, but I do think that we we really do need to ensure that organisations have very. I don't even just too cynical, but you know, we they a lot of people need to be forced to to, uh, to consider these things systemically. Otherwise, we, they won't. They'll they'll they'll. It's like water going downhill. They just go the easiest way. Mm. In our COVID-19 risk assessments, we've included that you have to risk assess for the impact on people's mental health. Um, But we've only done that because we've had 20 years of of seeding this area, um, you know, to to eventually. And it's interesting, you know, when we developed the standards in 2000 and then launched 2004, demands control, role, relationship, support and change. What are the paramount elements that a pandemic does and a recession does it takes away control it increases demands and it, and and as this pandemic has shown support has been dramatically impacted people people do not feel connected behind a screen when they're doing team meetings as much as they would have been if they were the face to face um you know so uh, and those in there and those who have returned to the factories do talk or, uh, you know, to, to the uh, shop floor or to, you know, construction sites talk about this, uh, this massive impact of isolation. Now, as psychologists, we know, we've known for many years, through many of the, the original studies in the 1950s, um, 40s, 50s and 60s, of what impact um, isolation could have on you. Um, this, for me, though, has been the first time we've contextualised it in a workplace, um, which has often been the, the very opposite. Um, so, and I think uh, we will, um, 
when we talk about the children that are coming in, the young adults that are coming into the workplace, we're going to have to start building a completely different case for how we we support our people. You know, I mean, I think the thing that COVID, you know, everything is obviously an opportunity, you know, and 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 COVID is an opportunity for us to to remember some real truths. So you know, even in prison, solitary is a punishment, you know, and uh, we, we we know this. Um, that's why we put people in solitary, you know, um, and and you know, uh, as we've all been through this, I think it's really thrown um, a, a really good light on a lot of things that that people should have been considering all along, and haven't been. Um, you know, and I, I've, been, I've been struck by a lot of clients have done fantastic stuff. You know, that spirit of the blitz things where suddenly. You know they've got no choice but uh, the best foot forward, and a lot of them have actually really cracked on and and, and been supportive, massively you know? innovative stuff. And and probably because actually they asked their people, as we know, what do you want? How do we make this better? How can we? Um, Stephen, I've shown this before, but this is Stephen Taylor, the psychology of pandemics. Yeah, and Stephen Taylor is an American professor. He brought this out six months before COVID hit. <laughs> I think book sales have gone off the scale, haven't they? <laughs> but actually, it tracks these very things. It tracks people's changes. And actually, the pandemic is a very behavioural experience. It's isn't, a, it, isn't it just, you know? It's a biological entity attacking the infrastructure of society and the systems and workplaces. And people are going, how do I behave and how do I respond? Um, and I... Um, I and, and you will probably spend the next period of your life that we do before we retire saying the same message, which is getting the place right, get the workplace right, before you, you, you even you think you're getting your people right. Your people can't be right if the workplace isn't right. It, it isn't actually about making people... I want people to go home healthy. I want them to come in healthy. I want them to go home healthy. I don't want them to go home not healthy. And in the context of work, what are those things that you can do in work, which are directly related to work? And also, what do you do as a good employer when you know your employee, as we've just we talked before, is suffering from depression? Yeah. Oh God, they're going through a divorce. They've just lost their kid. There's a whole range of things which, in a in the non in in the context of not being in work, you go, that's horrendous. But somehow we get into work and we go, nah. We can't really have that question. We can't. We, we don't really need to consider that. I don't, I don't know about you. I just, it, it, I don't know how. Why we? Why we, we've switched off human emotions it, it, up until because it suited Peter. Because it suited you know. Because we're we're reserved and we don't like to talk about it. And most organisations are run by middle aged men. And but you know, I I do on the positive side. I do think that that. There's, somebody's just come into work. I've asked them if they're all right. They've said, yeah, in a way they didn't convince me, but I didn't say anything. And, and I'm, they're now going to go and drive a crane or, or, or be an, an engineer alone in a data centre in charge of making sure that the computers for some, some you know, huge bank don't crash. And I think post-pandemic that I need to talk to them more closely is much more likely. I think we're more likely to have the critical conversation where we – where we actually talk to them properly and we don't just do the, you fine, fine, yeah, great, that's good, then I'll crack on. Well, your fine's always going to get one answer. Of course you are, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I'm fine, thank you. Yeah, but, but 
you know, and, and, and uh, in my new book, yeah, it, uh, you know, I, uh, talking safely is, you know, uh, we talk about asking people if they're all right and, and break the ice. But, you know, the essence of the book is, you know, is, you know talking health and safety, of course, planned before the pandemic as well. And <laughs> the world of publishing is just about to be published. They rocket, uh, rocket through. Um, it's to say, it's to re revisit the question and say, look, you know, once you've developed rapport, once you've talked about the job and the person, ask them a second time. You know, yeah. are, are you really all right? And, and you're much more likely to get something more than that glib, I'm fine, thank you. And uh, one of the things we've done in it, we, we talk about in Australia, and Jason and I have mentioned this, is how you're traveling. So, you know, um, is it bumpy? Is it straight? Is it, you know, and it's a good, you can, people can say, you know, between one and 10, where are you traveling? How are you traveling? And often that just it gives you the possibility to have oh, around about five, you know, which means I'm not quite there, but for this number, and it, it, it allows you to tag it. Sheila's like just jumping in here. She knows we've got to finish. <laughs> so, oh. <laughs> yeah. I haven't told you about Jason's FI scale that we, that we came up with. That, that is getting people to talk. Uh, Jake, you know, we talked about um, mental, people with mental health issues having more accidents mm -hmm. um, because of fatalism and, and uh, your distraction and, and, you know, just being grumpy and so on. Um, and, and Jason talks about, you know, we, we came up with this fat fatalism uh, and intolerance of organisational and structural stresses scale, the FI scale, you know, and, and Jason goes through this and says, you've got a high FI score then you're much more likely to have an accident because Jason himself had a pretty high FI score the day he had his accident. And, and of course, people realise what you mean by FI and, uh, and, and there's, you know, we can have a good laugh about it. I won't swear because for your, for your podcast. But, <laughs> but, you know, what we genuinely have found, and, 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 I, and, I, and I think just the essence of all we've talked about is people are actually using this and are much more likely to use this because of the events of the last 18 months, is that yeah. people are having toolbox talks and they're saying, come on, well, sorry, I was about to be sexy, saying, come on, boys, come on, everybody, watch your FI score today. You know, and, and it's, it's, it's a slightly sweary version of how, how you travel it. Hmm. You know, and, and we are having these conversations more than we used to, and I think that's a good thing. It works. Yeah, yeah. yeah. you've got to, to normalise it. You know, using that, for example, in a construction or a very male-dominated industry, it's going to be more responsive than somebody sat there trying to do it in a textbook. Yeah, like, you know, so if you say to somebody, what's your situational awareness like today? How fatalistic <laughs> are you feeling? You know, what's your FI score? Well, well I'll give you that, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, yeah. sometimes you know, we've got. I'll go onto a site, and the site manager's face will just drop. Come on, I haven't found anything yet. Give me a second. <laughs> um, because actually, you know, there's, his his FI score's gone right up because he's seen the yellow jacket and the hats. But you've got to go to him. Look, let's have a look. You know, let's have a wander around, and then halfway around, you're saying, "Well, I might find something." <laughs> Because but you built up a rapport with them, you know what I mean? And I think that's really important. Mm. Um, I'm going to let, let Sheila ask the last question because um, me and you could... I was just going to say, you know, kind of post coming out of the pandemic now or things feeling like they're getting back to normal. And I think certainly for me and for a lot of people that I know, I've seen a lot of people walking with their feet um, because um, they've decided that actually... That paycheck that I thought was so important, this last 18 months have taught me my family is more important, my mental health is more important. Um, even though I wasn't pre-COVID, pre I didn't feel I was being impacted by stress at work. Actually, having those 18 months in a different environment to decompress 
it's just changed a lot of people's perspectives. So what you found is, uh, what I've seen is that you get a lot of good people leaving organisations saying, this isn't for me anymore. I want a different way. I want a different work-life balance. And people are, are talking with their feet and they're leaving. Um, and think, you know, if you look at people like truck drivers, you know, at the moment, there's a huge shortage of truck drivers um, because, you know, they've got horrendously stressful jobs. Um, and, you know, I think my, my kind of closing question to you, Tim, is kind of given that, you know, people have, have got a very different attitude towards work now. If employers want to retain the best staff, if they want to attract the best staff, what do they need to be doing? And I, I know we've kind of covered this um, throughout the, the course of the podcast, but kind of, what, you know, give us a couple of nuggets, and <laughs> a bit of food for thought to leave with those employers that still think trying to implement something around behavioural safety, psychological safety, this more holistic, integrated approach is too difficult to do. Because uh, oh, oh, from, well, I mean, the, the, the one word answer is listen, I think. And, uh, you know, uh, the thing that made me laugh most during the pandemic, I was, was talking to somebody who said, well, I've, I've got a member of the staff who said I'm working from home and I've got kids. So it's absolutely fantastic. And, and some, later on in the afternoon, somebody said, I'm working from home, uh, but I've got kids. It's a, it's a nightmare. I can't get anything done. Uh, same person, same day, you know. And uh, and I think that that we're all individuals, and we all come at these things in lots of different ways on the same day. Even it's just listening to people and understanding. In the morning, it was wonderful. In the afternoon, it was a nightmare. And and how do we how do we use that insight in, into how we're productive to tweak and tailor the job and the support we give so that people can be productive and, and balanced you know so yeah. fantastic. fantastic i think it's li- listening what was that sorry hang on <laughs> it is though it's, it's 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 quite simple isn't it when we bring it back to kind of the absolute basics you know um people come to work because they want to do a good job they want to be happy at work and happy employees they cost you less they make you more because they're engaged, they're productive, they're loyal, they're staying. It's quite, it, it, it really is simple, isn't it? What have the Romans ever done for us, you know? Yeah. 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 Well, thank you for your time today, Tim. It's been really um, insightful. Um, you know, carry on doing the, the fantastic, wonderful work that you do. Um, and, uh, <laughs> that's on our regards to Jason when you see him. Yeah, no, we, we've got a, we've got a couple of double-headed gigs which we really love doing. Yeah, and um, uh, we've got a few of those coming up for insurance companies and some solicitors and so on that, uh, and their clients, of course, which is which is lots of fun. So, uh, I'll uh, we're, we're looking forward to the autumn. Now we now we've got audiences. You know, we're both a pair of old hams, really, yeah. and we just like to get on stage and and. Try and make make people laugh and uh, and and all that. So I'm uh, really looking forward to the autumn. Fantastic! That's my worst nightmare: being on a stage. <laughs> I've been to it. <laughs> oh, yeah, I love it. I love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Peter's an old ham as well, you know. Yeah. You know? <laughs> that's why. That's why I've kind of loved COVID. That's given me my practice. <laughs> my practice runs. They will come with me both from the same stage. It'll be great fun. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, thanks ever so much for having me. I uh, I I hope that was uh, useful. It was.
You've been listening to the UK Psych Health and Safety Podcast. To stay up to date with the latest on psychological injury prevention and the new ISO 45003 standard, follow subscribe to the UK Psych Health and Safety Podcast at www.ukpsychhealthandsafety.com. 